Our speaker today is Glenna Marshall. Um, Glenna is married to um, her pastor, William, and lives in Sykeston, Missouri, where she tries and fails to keep up with her two energetic sons. She is the author of The Promise is, the Promise is His Presence, Why God is Always Enough, and Everyday Faithfulness, The Beauty of Ordinary Perseverance in a Demanding World. She is the social media manager for Practical Shepherding Women, a ministry to pastor's wives, and works as a staff writer for the Daily Grace Company. Glenna enjoys reading fiction, taking walks, and drinking lots of coffee in her spare time. She is a member of Grace Bible Fellowship in Sexton. Join me in welcoming Glenna. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. It's actually good to be out of my house. I work from home, and it's just nice to see humans besides my family. Um, and um, actually, I do a fair amount of speaking as a writer, um, so much so that this year, in January, I went and got fingerprinted and paid the fee for the TSA pre-check status, which I've used exactly once, <laughs> because like the rest of us, uh, my year got completely canceled. And so it's really nice to just be at something where people are gathering again and having things like meetings and conferences and things like that. So um, it's fun to be here. It's also awkward to have a cold during COVID, so um, I feel like I should yell unclean, except it's not COVID, it's just a cold. Um, but I uh, have an, a little bit of experience with mops. Being down in Sykeston, there's actually not an active group right now, but there was when my oldest son was fairly young. And so I plugged into a group in Sykeston for a while and met some just great mom friends and enjoyed it so much and made some friendships that are still part of my life and I'm really thankful for. Um, just to give you a little bit more background, I'm not from Missouri. I moved to Sykeston a little over 15 years ago from Tennessee. My husband and I are from Tennessee originally, and he took a job in Sykeston to pastor what used to be Trinity Baptist Church, um, but is now Grace Bible Fellowship. You may have seen this in your Southeast Missouri and paper. There's been some um, pieces written on our church. We actually went through a merge last year. We took a predominantly white church and merged with a predominantly black church to form a gospel-centered, racially diverse church in Sykeston, which if you know anything about Sykeston, is very racially segregated. And so um, we are so thankful for the work God is doing in our town through our church and really love our life and ministry here. And so um, I spend most of my time writing. Um, I actually just started a job working for the Daily Grace Co., which if you're familiar with them, they put out Bible studies and lots of beautiful products to enhance your devotion time. And so uh, then I have two kids. Um, my husband and I were actually not able to have children, so the Lord added to our family through adoption. So I have a 12-year-old who is this tall, and I have a five-year-old who never stops talking. And so they're both boys, they're very energetic, and I love them so much, and so it's fun to be in a group of moms because it makes me think of all the like mom stories I can tell and pull out of my pocket that I don't usually share when I'm speaking. Um, what I wanna talk to you about today is cultivating faithful friendships. And I don't actually mean like cultivating loyal friendships. I don't mean faithful in that way, although what I'm talking about I think will lead to loyal friendships. What I'm actually talking about is cultivating friendships that 
stir up our faithfulness to Jesus. And before I go any further, I never want to just assume that when I'm talking about faithfulness to Jesus that everybody is right there with me and knows what I'm talking about. So I just want to really quickly want to say what I believe is going to be the foundation for what I share. And what I believe is that God has given us his word as an inerrant always relevant, always truthful foundation for what we believe as Christians. That he created everything good and perfect, and he created man and woman and set them in the Garden of Eden, where they sinned and disobeyed him. And because of that, every person born since then, save one, um, has the problem of sin. And in order to be reconciled to a holy God, we have to do something about our sin problem. The problem is that we can't do anything about our sin problem, because we are the ones with the problem. And so God, in his kindness, sent his son Jesus, which was always his plan, to uh, live a perfect life and die on a cross and pay for our sins so that we can know God and be known by him and loved by him. And so from the moment that a person believes that Jesus has paid the sacrifice for their sins, um, from that point forward until they see him face to face, whether through death and being with him in heaven or if he returns, which in the midst of COVID seems like a great plan, honestly. Um, But whenever we see him next, that window of time from now until then is what we call our sanctification. It is the window of time in a Christian's life from conversion when they come to faith in Christ until they see him where God is actively making them holy. And that's what the word sanctification means. It means to sanctify, to make holy. And so God uses that time to reveal areas of sin and expose them, and he uses three primary means to do that, and that would be scripture, which is his word, prayer, and the church. And I pull those from Hebrews 10, actually, where the author of Hebrews tells us that because Jesus died for us, we have three primary means to continue in the faith. And those things are drawing near to God through prayer, through the scripture, holding fast to scripture, and through church involvement. So what does any of that have to do with friendships? Well, let me... Let me get there. I think that um, sometimes making friends is really hard. As a mom, as an adult, it was much easier to make friends when I was a kid, you know, in the playground. You're like, will you swing with me? Yes, yes, we're best friends. You know, I think as an adult, it's hard. And I think, um, though I'm comfortable standing in front of you, I, I am very much an introvert to the absolute core. And so I think making friends is even maybe more challenging if you are kind of quiet or a homebody or something of that nature. But um, I think that when, as moms, when we are seeking friendships, we typically gravitate towards people who are just like us. So we gravitate towards people who are uh, maybe mothering in the same way or in the same space. So like maybe we're friends because we attend church together or we're friends because our kids are um, on the same t-ball team. Or we're friends because we both uh, use the same method for diapering or sleep routines or whatever the thing is that's important to you as a mom. But I actually think um, one of the things that makes it really hard to make friends is fear of judgment from other moms. So you meet someone and you're like, oh, you homeschool, that's weird. (laughs) Or you sent your kids to public school, you might as well send them to Satan. Um, or uh, you use cloth diapers, you know this is the 21st century, right? Or why would you put disposable, that's terrible for the environment? Or you feed your kids boxed mac and cheese, is it at least Annie's organic? (laughs) Um, You know, sometimes it's hard to make friends because 
the decisions that we make as moms that maybe we have really labored over and made educated decisions and done our research for, if someone chooses to do something differently, sometimes that feels like an indictment on our methods, right? And maybe we're not as, they think we're not as good of a mom as them. And I think a lot of those factors can make it really difficult to make friends that will actually spur us on in our relationship with Christ. But I actually think that when we make friendships that are rooted in faithfulness to Christ, those are the friendships that will serve us well as Christian moms, not necessarily just being friends with moms who do everything just like us. So let me ask you this. What do you need from friendships? And I actually want you to answer. Um, No, that's super awkward. But like, when you think about what you need from a friend, what is important to you? Someone that listens and makes time for you. Yes, and you're going where I'm going in a minute. So, <laughs> someone that tells you what you don't want to hear. Okay, what else? <clears throat> Accountability. Yes, you're also going in the direction that I'm going to go. Um, okay, what else? Encouragement. Yeah, that's really important. Like support, you know, like. Uh, Also, will you come take my kids for an hour (laughs) so I can go to Target by myself? Um, Okay, let me ask you this. Let me turn the question. What do you not need from friendships? More drama. drama. I love it. And I am in full agreement with you. What do you not need from friendships? Maybe criticism? Judgment, yes. Judgment, criticism. Anything else? Gossip. Man, we're so good at that. And it's really more like venting, right? <laughs> but it quickly turns into to gossip. That's interesting that you say that because what I want from friendships sometimes and what I um, need from friendships sometimes are two different things. Sometimes what I want, like just in my flesh, like in my sort of selfishness as a mom, I want somebody to commiserate with me. I didn't get any sleep last night. You know, my kids were up. Or I am tired of doing everything around the house. I'm resentful towards my husband for not pitching in enough. Or uh, my kids are so disobedient today. And sometimes what I'm looking for is someone to say, that is the the worst, and what you deserve is to go home and have a big glass of wine and ignore your family and Netflix for the rest of the night, you know? Like, that's what you need to take care of yourself. Sometimes that's what I want. I'm not saying doing those things um, are sinful in and of themselves, but what I actually need is for someone to say, you're in a hard spot with parenting. This is an admittedly hard phase that you're in. Um, How can I pray for you? Are you, like, seriously angry at your kids right now? Are you sinning in your anger? Are you bitter towards your husband? Like, I need someone to hold me accountable for what I'm thinking and saying as a mom. And so those two things are at odds. Sometimes what I want and what I need are not exactly the same thing. And what I need as a Christian primarily is not someone who commiserates with me, but someone who is going to encourage me to walk more closely with Jesus. Because as I walk more closely with Jesus and grow in godliness, that 
leeches into all of my relationships, into my mothering, into my marriage, into my friendships, my relationship with coworkers. All of those things are stirred up by how this relationship, the vertical relationship with the Lord is. If this is growing in faithfulness, then these are growing in faithfulness. And so that's why I think that as moms, when we're searching for friends or people to um, sort of come alongside us in our motherhood, what we primarily need are friends who are walking closely with Jesus, who will encourage us to walk closely with Jesus. And that might mean that that friend does a lot of things different from you. They might not feed, feed their kids the same way. They might not have the same type of sleep methods or education choices. They may not even have kids. They may be empty nesters. You know, so God can use all sorts of people from all different walks of life um, with lots of different backgrounds, maybe racial backgrounds that are different or socioeconomic background that's different or education background that's different. But if Jesus is your common thread, then you have everything you need for a friendship that will encourage you to grow in godliness. So what I want to touch on next is what does the Bible say about what we need from one another as, friend, um, as friends? And this is really generally speaking um, as Christian friends and not necessarily as moms, so I think it will bleed into that. Um, the first, you don't have to like look these up on your phone, I'm just going to read them to you, but the first verse uh, or verses is from Proverbs 27. And the author of Proverbs writes, writes, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's a really weird verse. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But what I think the author is getting at is that it is more of a blessing to your life to have a friend who will tell you the truth than to have someone flatter you and commiserate with you and agree with you just as sort of like an echo chamber. Um, what we actually need, what, what is faithful, is a friend who will speak the truth to you in love. And so I think what we need from one another is, as was said earlier, we need someone to tell us the truth. And I'm going to tell you a story about that in just a few minutes. Um, I think uh, some of the other things that scripture addresses, now the next few passages I'm going to read are sort of in the category of what we would call the one another passages. And there are a ton of them in the New Testament. In the New Testament. And basically what these are are commands from the writers of the epistles. So Paul and Peter and James and John. And so basically they are writing to Christians in churches and saying, this is how you need to treat one another. And this is what you need from one another. And I think these, um, while are primarily we practice these in the confines of our local church body, we also practice them in settings like this where we have believers who are, you know, doing life together in different ways. So the first thing we need from one another is love. First Peter 1.22 says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I think what we see there is that what we need from one another is love and not like love that just agrees with you all the time, but love that says things that are true, love that is kind, but also truthful. And um, so we need that kind of love. And kind of going along with that, this passage is a little bit longer, but I love the way that Paul words this in Romans 12. Um, he uses the phrase brotherly affection. And if, you're in, if you use like a, 
this is an ESV I'm using, but if you use a Christian standard Bible, I think it uses the term family affection, and I really love that. Here's what Paul says to the Christians. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly or family affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful. In zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think that whole passage really speaks to the way that we should um, really behave and serve one another in our relationships as friends who are following Jesus. And I think the kind of the big theme there is sort of a sacrificial love, like being willing to serve one another and show hospitality and not being selfish. Which leads me to my next verse, which is Philippians 2.3, where Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we see selflessness and sacrifice there. Um, here's an important one, James 5, 19 through 20. These are the last verses of the book of James, where James, the brother of Jesus, says, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. A passage is really weighty. I mean, James isn't saying that you're responsible for someone's salvation. Only God does that. But he is saying if you see someone wandering from the truth, bring them back. That is love and kindness to do that. And we kind of see correction as a judgmental thing. And there's a difference between being judgy of how your friend does something and offering a loving, kind correction. And you can usually tell the difference if someone comes to you from concern. Um, I want to tell you a story just to kind of put some flesh on that. Um, So when my husband and I got married... We uh, were living in Jackson, Tennessee, where I grew up, and we bought a house right when we got married, and my husband was on staff at a church, finishing up seminary. We loved our church, we loved our house, we loved our life, and uh, I met a woman at church, um, and her name was Raynell, and she was, or is, old enough to be my mother. But I really liked her. I was 22 years old, and she had a really dry sense of humor, and she made me laugh. And so I just went up to her after church one day, and I said, would you be interested in mentoring me? And she looked at me and said, no, um, I don't really want to do that. That makes me feel awkward. I am not equipped to mentor anyone. And I said, well, what about if I reworded that and said, would you meet me for coffee once a week just to talk? And she said, I can do that. So we began meeting weekly for coffee. And it really did turn into a mentorship relationship. Now, we had very little in common, except the fact that we went to church together. She was, again, my mother's age. She had a grown son. She was divorced and had come to faith right at the end of her marriage when her husband left her. And uh, she had a pretty rough past before coming to faith in Christ. So there was very little that we had in common, except the fact that we were both believers in Jesus and we attended church together. 
So we met for a couple of years. We met and had coffee every week, and she would ask me, you know, what's been going on in your life? What is God teaching you? Are you reading your Bible? How can I pray for you? And then we would pray together every week. So a couple of years into that relationship, my husband and I had been trying for a while to have children. Now, it's kind of awkward to talk about infertility at a MOPS meeting, but infertility is kind of adjacent to motherhood <laughs> in a weird way. Um, and there's a chance someone in this room has experienced at least part of that. So we were having trouble getting pregnant, and I very quickly spiraled into bitterness. I was angry all the time. All of my friends, we were in a young church with lots of young couples. All of my friends were ha- getting pregnant, having kids. My best friend um, got pregnant accidentally and had twins in that time. And I just felt like every other person's blessing was an indictment on me, that the Lord didn't love me, that he was holding out on me, because I really believed he could give me kids and didn't understand why he wouldn't. And so I began to really isolate myself from other people. Uh, my friends that were pregnant, I really withdrew from those relationships. And now I have to say, 16 years of infertility, that is a, it is a wound that should be grieved and observed. I don't in any way want to say that I shouldn't have grieved over that, um, but it was quickly became an issue of idolatry for me and quickly became um, a place of bitterness that I lived in. And my friend, Raynell, that I met with every week, she noticed I didn't think anybody was paying attention. I was had so much tunnel vision, and I was just angry all the time. So one day she called me up and she said, um, we haven't met in a couple of weeks. Uh, meet me at the coffee shop. I have something I need to say to you. And I said, okay. So I went to the coffee shop, and I got there first, and I looked out the window, and I saw her get out of her car, and she had the big stack of books. And I was like, what is she doing? So she comes into the coffee shop. She sets the books on the table, and she looked me in the eye, and she said, Glenna, we have got to do something about your bitterness. And I could just feel all the blood draining out of my face because all of a sudden, this thing that was eating me alive, suddenly I realized that it was visible to other people and like my sin was exposed. And I said, okay. And so she sat down and she said, you know, I see this in your life. I see this in your life. I see this in your life. It is not good for your relationship with Christ because you're not fighting it. And it's not good for your relationships with other people. You're really angry. Now, she could have just said that and left it there. But what she did next was really, has really taught me what it means to be a faithful friend. She said, I've brought all these books. This one's on waiting. This one's on suffering. This one's on bitterness. And they're all Christian books. And then we also have our Bibles. And I am committed to fast one day a week and pray for you. Not necessarily that the Lord will give you a child, but that he will rescue you from bitterness. And she did. And we did together. And for the next six months, we met and we fasted and we prayed. And... I moved to Missouri during that time, but it's been 16 years, and we're still very, very close. Um, And the Lord did rescue me from bitterness over time. And I look back at that, and, you know, it's one thing for someone to come to you and say, I see that you're doing this wrong, and you really need to change. So if, like, let's say you're down in a hole, and someone stands over the hole and says, you need to get out of there. So that's one way to go about it. The other way to go about it is for them to get down in the hole and say, this is the worst hole ever. Let's just be mad, you know? Or there's a third way that says, I'm climbing down in the hole with you, and I'm going to help you get out of it. 
And to me, that is what faithful friendship does. So more than I needed a friend who said, I'm really sorry that this is happening to you. It's just awful and terrible, and I'm mad with you. And you do whatever you need to do to make yourself feel better. What I needed was for someone to say, this is really hard what you're going through, but it's actually turned into an area of sin in your life. And I love you enough to say something hard to you. And so she did, and she did do that, and she committed. And what she did as a friend was to continually point my face to scripture, to continually point my face to Jesus so that I could see what was true about my situation. The Lord wasn't being mean to me. He had different purposes for my life. And now I can say 100%. I have two kids that I would never have if he had answered my prayer the way I wanted to 16, 17 years ago. And so if I I could tell you another story. I I don't have enough time, but... um, I have continually seen the Lord use friends from my church body, actually, who have said hard things to me because they love me and because they want me to follow Jesus faithfully more than they want anything else from me. And so when we're talking about cultivating friendships that are faithful, I think that's what we need to do. Not necessarily just look for friends who do everything like us but look for friends who will encourage us to follow Christ more faithfully. Now, practically, how do we do that? I mean, my story came from a church member, and the other story I was going to tell but don't have time for it um, was from a church member as well. And so I think that the church is God's gift to you to find people who will walk alongside you to you know, hold you accountable, as someone mentioned, to say hard things to you, to comfort you and support you when you're going through hard times. Um, to support you, take your kids once in a while and let you and your spouse go on a date, something like that, someone who will pray for you. So I think your church is really a, a wonderful place for you to find relationships like that. Now, you don't have to look for someone who does everything the same. Maybe you'll look for a friend who's a mom, maybe an empty nester, maybe someone who's never had children. And the Lord can use all kinds of people to encourage you in a close friendship if Jesus is your common bond. So look at your church. Um, I would also say look at the relationships that you have now. And if they're, you know, pretty surfacey or just about parenting, maybe it's an opportunity for you to take that a little deeper. Uh, my sister-in-law, my husband, or my uh, brother's wife, felt that she wasn't a very faithful prayer for her husband and her son. And so she took some friendships of women in her neighborhood and just said, hey, would you guys come to my house once a week and we'll pray for our husbands and kids. And she did that for a year and her relationships just really deepened and grew just over the act of praying for their families. Um, I have a couple of girls that I meet with for a Bible study every week. Uh, We started about four years ago. None of us knew each other well at all. We were really just acquaintances. And we got together to start just studying books of the Bible together. And four years later, they are my deepest, truest friendships because our intimacy grew over learning about Jesus and praying for one another and studying the scriptures and has grown my faith so much. And so if you're not plugged into like a weekly Bible study, I would start one with one or two people or maybe one person. Uh, If you're interested in like a mentoring relationship where you corner someone like I did and say, hey, will you mentor me? Or maybe someone who's younger than you that you would like to mentor, I can recommend a really good book for that. Um, it's called Growing Together, and it's by Melissa Kruger. Some of you guys read that? It's really <laughs> yeah, it's really good. 
Um, that's a good one for one-on-one -on -one relationships. And so, um, and I just would say, you know, we're going to have different friends in different seasons of life. Some friendships are just for the season of when you have infants. Maybe someone moves or um, someone, their kids are older and they, you know, are just in a different stage of life. So we can thank God for the friendships that we have right now, knowing that they may change as, you know, life situations change. Um, but I think it's important also to pray that God would help you look for a way to be a faithful friend to someone who needs it. Uh, how can you stir up, to use the author of Hebrews language, how can you stir up another mom to love and good works, to faithfulness in Christ? Because as we seek faithful friendships and we grow in our faithfulness to Jesus, that bleeds into our motherhood and our marriages and our work relationships and our friendships and all of the things that we do in sharing that gospel with unbelieving friends. And so um, I, I would love to stand and talk a little longer, but I think we're out of time. And if you have any questions, I actually have to take off after this because we have a funeral in our church today. But um, uh, you can find me anywhere online or send me an email. But if you guys have questions about faithfulness, I'd be happy to answer them. But thank you guys for having me here today.